what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hey everybody, this is Alan and Chris. Hello. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Recording this a little bit later than normal. We took a little bit of a break. We've got some busy schedules going on. This little thing called work sometimes just gets in the way. It does. The day job. The darn day job. <laughs> We love it, but we also mean that sometimes we don't get to record this episode as often as we'd like. So now we're trying to get back on schedule. Right. We're a little getting a little caught up, but uh, this is kind of films here on the mesh.tv where your film review and discussion show. We've got a couple of films we're going to be discussing this episode, uh, both of them available online. They're both ones that you can find on Amazon, on iTunes. So that's good. It means it's a film that, hey, if you're interested in what we're talking about, you actually have an opportunity to go and listen to or watch it online tonight. Right now. Absolutely. Right after you turn off this podcast, you can go watch it. Uh, this is the mesh.tv where we have a whole series of podcast shows that we put out. Online audio programs available for free. You can go and download it anytime or go back in time and listen to past episodes. Or even better, subscribe to our show. And by doing that, you're guaranteed, guaranteed, you're going to get every new episode we put out delivered right to your virtual doorstep when it is ready. We recommend you can go online at iTunes to do that. Uh, you can go through the Mesh website, and there's a nice convenient button for both iTunes and even Stitcher Radio to listen to and subscribe to the show right away. Chris, yes. so we have two, two, two reviews, and I've already kind of prefaced. I, you and I do not discuss reviews before the show begins recording. Correct. And I think that's good. I think that's healthy because then your reaction to a film and mine, we both are listening, kind of getting each other's reaction at the same time, and we can respond accordingly. We don't have any prepped responses if one hates a film and the other one loves it. Right. I'll go ahead and tell you, I've got fairly emotional responses to both the films we're going to be reviewing today. Excellent. I just don't know if they're going to match up with your perceptions or not. So I'll be Hmm. very curious to see. The two films we're discussing, first off, Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson, P.T. Anderson, as his friends may call him, with his latest Inherent Vice. The second film we'll be discussing is a very uh, small budget independent film called Buzzard that we will discuss in more detail a little bit later. We may squeeze in a little bit of movie news here and there, and then we're going to, of course, close off the episode as normal, with we do, which we do with our uh, recommendation of the month. That can be a film that's maybe we just recently checked out online, maybe we revisited, maybe we just think we've something you ought to check out if you have a chance. So with that, Chris, are you ready to jump into our first review? I am. Let's do it. Let's talk about our first film today, Inherent Vice. If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin... I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. The Mickey Wolfman. The Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So wh- where would I uh, find him? He's a technically Jewish but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. Do you have a spare picture I can borrow? As you mentioned, Inherent Vice is Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film. I'm going to lean on IMDb here a little bit and give you what it says is the summary of this movie. In 1970, drug-fueled Los Angeles, detective Larry Doc Sportello, played by Mr. Joaquin Phoenix, investigates the disappearance of a former girlfriend. Now, Alan, I've heard it said that with the purchase of a movie ticket, or in this case, purchasing it online, they should do one of two things. They should either automatically give you a second ticket or in this chance, a second viewing of this movie automatically. So buy one, get one free type deal or with the purchase of a movie ticket or watching this movie once, they should provide you with, let's say, a plant that can be rolled and you should smoke it while watching this movie (laughs) to enhance your enjoyment of this movie. So they should do one of the two things. They should either let you alter yourself slightly or they should provide you the chance with watching this movie twice. Okay. Do you agree that that might be preferred viewing way to watch this movie? I, to kick off our little conversation. I will, I will argue um, 
I, I don't know if the second option is going to dramatically change the enjoyment of the film. That's so, my take on it. So altering yourself somehow? I don't okay. think so. Because okay. honestly, I was expecting this to be a much more psychedelic, drug-riddled film than I got. Okay. And I was actually kind of surprised it wasn't. Okay. Now, the first option about a second viewing, uh, yes, automatically. Okay. Actually, it's to the point where I watched this film in two parts. I watched it night before last. Okay. Got two, two-thirds of the way through. Watched it the final part last night. And had to go back and rewind and play other parts again. And I really want to sit down and watch it all the way through a second time. Let's be clear. Uh, this is a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. So it's, it's a long one. Um, and Chris, something I'm going to challenge us to start doing with our reviews going forward, just because I think it'd be interesting to try to do, is to see if we can come up with a one word review. And I'm going to ask you later on in our discussion okay. for that one word review. But to go ahead and set mine up, because it's going to tell you where I'm coming from. Okay. My word is demanding. Wow. This is a demanding film. Okay. Now, I will tell you, I enjoyed it. Okay. But, man, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's one of these, I'm giving it a lower rating than probably what it really deserves. Hmm. But the lower rating is purely because the plot is so incoherent. And I think that's intentionally done. I think the point is to let you know that the plot really doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's more about the feel of the yeah. time period. And the feel was awesome. Gotcha. Okay, the music, the dress, the dialogue, the settings, everything was awesome. I mean, I love Paul Thomas Anderson films in general. And this sure. one definitely had all those elements that I love about a good P.T. Anderson film. Okay. I just can't give it a glowing review because I just didn't know what the hell was going on half the time. <laughs> and... You meet some incredibly interesting characters, which I want to pick out a few of those in particular. Okay. You've got some great sequences. You've got some awesome shots. You've got some awesome uh, use of music and style all mixed together. But at the end of the day, I still couldn't tell you what happened in this film. Got you. Um, from start to finish. I've got pieces. And I think I, if, with a second viewing, I could start to piece it all together. But it did lose some points with me simply because I don't expect a film to be completely clear. Sure. I'm okay with ambiguous films. This film wasn't trying to be ambiguous. This film was just throwing so many names and references and links that went in different directions to me that I had a hard time processing it all. That's I, where I'm coming from with the film. How do you feel about I, it? I think, we're, I think we're on the same page. And I think um, I, when I was watching this, I was, I was comparing it to two films. Okay. One of which was The Master, which was Mr. Anderson's previous film. Previous film with Joaquin Phoenix. Right, with mm -hmm. Joaquin Phoenix as well, in the, you know, a big role. And then I was also comparing it to The Big Lebowski. Okay, yes. The Coen Brothers movie. Sure. Um, which, you know, is one of my all-time favorite movies. But because when I had heard the idea of this movie, it's about kind of a detective. He's kind of, yeah, he's kind of on, you know, he does drugs. He's kind of like mm -hmm. bumbling along, kind of doesn't know what he's doing, or does he? But, well, yeah, it's an interesting question. And, yeah. you know, he just kind of that mindset. I was like, okay, Lebowski wasn't a detective, but he was trying to figure out what was going on and kind of playing an amateur detective in a way. Yeah. So I was using that as a reference point for like what I thought this film was going to be. And I fall pretty much on the same page where I liked the film, but afterwards I was kind of, it was hard to kind of grasp what I had just been watching. Yeah. And unfortunately, just like you, I watched it in two pieces mm -hmm. and it was late at night, and that second part, I just was like, what? What's, what's yeah. going on? And unfortunately, after I finished it, I didn't have a chance to go back and watch it again. Right. Um, but all that being said, usually on a film that I didn't respond to at all, I would just write it off and be like, oh, it was so boring, I couldn't make it through it, or you know, just yeah. didn't have anything worthwhile. But there were several um, characters that were interesting, and the interplay between Doc Sportello, played by Phoenix, and Josh Brolin's character, Bigfoot. <laughs> no. and, yes. And a, I guess a more typical movie would have used that more of a, as a framing device or right. kind of like that would have kind of led you through the movie. They're kind of antagonistic, but yet they still kind of helped each other. That kind of thing would have been kind of your guide. And I guess I was, even though just like you, sometimes I'd like movies to be a little bit more ambiguous. I could have used a little bit more definition. Yeah. I, I tell you what, imagine if we didn't have the narrator. Oh my goodness. Okay. Cause the narrator at times would start to gel things together for me. I'm like, okay, I get it now. Okay. I, I understand where they're going. I think I know what's happening. I think I know what's happening. <laughs> and then they would go a long spell without the narrator. I'm like, okay, I'm lost again. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's, it's demanding in, in that I, I, I want to tell people watching this film, don't pay attention to the plot. Just turn your brain off. Right. Just go in for the visuals, go in for the dialogue, go in for the scenery, go in for the, 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 the camera work, go in for all the, the film aspects of it. But don't worry about the story. But I also think that's a cop-out, too, because, I mean, I think you're going to give us a detective story where we're following a character to solve a mystery. At the end of the day, the, the, the mystery itself isn't as important. It's a MacGuffin. It, it is. Yeah. But I still had a hard time understanding what I was supposed to get out of by the end because so many things have been thrown at me. There's a lot more of interest with the Bigfoot character. And he was probably my favorite fascinating character in the film, I, Josh it, Brolin. I think it may be my favorite thing I think I've ever seen Josh Brolin do. Well, absolutely that. I agree with yeah. you on that. I just think his character is so many levels and layers that I want to watch the film a second time almost exclusively to pay to attention him. to his character. Well, um, and that was a surprise to me because I liked, I assumed I was just going to be interested in Sportello and I just, you know, wanted to, you know, spend as much time with him as possible. But yeah, I kind of like, I brightened up whenever Bigfoot. Well, yeah, Sportello to me was the most straightforward character. I felt like I knew him probably the best of anybody else because his character was pretty straightforward. He's, I got the impression that he's a guy that just kind of has drifted through life and he's now stumbled into a role as a PI. He enjoys it, but he's not like this over exuberant PI. Right. But yeah, he's pretty good at it. Um, Surprisingly so. Yeah. I'm like, even to the point <laughs> of utilizing disguises and kind of acting at times. Right. And, but I think he's more of an observer. He's like, I'm just here to observe what's going on. And if I can make sense of it all, awesome. If I can't, oh well. And I, I was okay with that. I liked his character. I really do think Walking Finks was really good in this. I, I, I enjoyed watching well. him a lot. Um, I will say a lot of things I, I liked about the film. I think Josh Brolin's Christian Big Fort Bjornsson as the uh, as the police or as a cop, he's working with man. They could have really played for just pure laughs. The stoner PI partnering mm-hmm. with the straight laced big uh, manly. Uh, uh, detective. Right. But they really subverted that in a lot of places. There was actually a scene, not to go into too many details of it, but uh, with them on the phone with each other. Yes. But the wife gets involved. Yes. And, oh my gosh, I'm rolling during that scene because it's just so ridiculous. And it puts you in a whole different frame of reference of how this Bigfoot character really is. Right. It was great. So I love their dynamic. Any scenes where they had together, a scene in a diner was a great scene. I wonder, really interesting interplay between the two of them. I wonder something else, which there again, it could be because I'm comparing it to Big Lebowski, and it probably is. Something that kind of took me off guard was this movie did have funny moments. Oh, yeah. But where like Lebowski, it was more of a comedy than it yeah. was a mystery. And it's hard to classify what this film was because it did have – I think I was expecting, because I was kind of in the Lebowski mindset, that it was going to be – funnier i thought yeah. sportello would be like non-stop like kind of being a dork or like yeah. a clueless dude and all this kind of, but that didn't happen it still had funny moments but it wasn't that like you've hinted or told about it also wasn't a mystery yeah so it's not a comedy not a mystery it's more of just kind of a an experiment in style and time period well i think it was a harken back to the Chinatown, mm. uh, The Big Sleep, um, some of these 60s and 70s style film noirs where they were really subverting this idea of what a film noir mystery was. But where P.T. Anderson's not really as interested in the mystery. No. He's interested in the characters. Right. He wants to introduce a really wild, wild palette of characters to you and enjoy how they interact and experience each other. Right. And with that, this movie shines. <laughs> you got Martin Short, who I think hilarious in this yep, very short scene, but and that was impactful. the other thing I saw him. And I was like, okay, here's going to be, but yeah, short lived. But while he was there, he was Dr. Awesome. Rudy Blatnoy DDS <laughs> with the golden Fang association. Yep. Perfectly legal, by the way, <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> just some great moments there. Now I will say really the only thing I can pull out of this, Chris, that I did not like was the plotting. It was just the way the plotting was handled and the fact that we did not, know what was going on. Again, I think that was partially planned. Sure. I think it wanted to be this sprawling, almost like when you get to the point where a doc is looking at a whiteboard where he's kind of written up the connections and it's all over the place. I think that's the point is like, yeah, this movie is meant to be all over the place. It just was so much all over the place that it made it frustrating to watch at times. I could have done with a little more clarification on some things. Well, for instance, during the course of this movie, 
it's not a mystery. It's technically three different mysteries yeah. in a way. You know, he's looking for his disappeared girlfriend. He agrees to track down a guy for the Black Pan- a Black Panther member. Yep. And then he agrees to try to find a was it saxophone a musician who's yep. married his wife like gets him to like go find my husband. I think he may be dead, but yet I don't yeah. know if he's dead. So there's like three different mysteries that in any one movie would be enough on its own to sustain. Now there was some interconnection between the there three was. mysteries, there but was. it was not always clear exactly how they were connected. <laughs> no. And you know, you kind of had to just take it with a grain of salt that they were right. I, I want to call it a couple of moments that I just wanted to see if you enjoyed them as much as I did. Okay. Um, I already mentioned the, the dialogue with Bigfoot and uh, Doc on the phone and the wife getting involved, which I thought was really hilarious. That is good. Is there a separate dialogue conversation where it's Bigfoot and his son is helping him pour a drink, or is that the same conversation? That's a separate okay. phone. But that's a separate. But I that's like also that, a really like good one, one, too. As well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, any of the dialogues the two of them had were right, great, but there was priceless. the one where the wife got involved in the phone yes. call and was just <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah. Um, did you notice this, the, the sequence where – uh, Doc and his in Shasta, his girlfriend at the time that is now the one that's missing. Yes, girl. They do the Ouija board sequence to try to find somewhere where they could get some get some drugs. Right. And they get they come up with a phone number somehow on the Ouija board. They call the phone number and it's an answering machine, and they get all excited thinking that it's like giving them directions on where to go find drugs. Right. And they go running off in the rain to this place, and it turns out to be just a dry cleaning joint. But as they walk, I don't know if you noticed or not, but as they go down that street and they pass the cleaners or looking for something, they go and there's a giant open, open, open lot, nothing in it. Okay. Behind a, 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 behind a chain link fence. Okay. And then they come back and end up back in the cleaners. Well, Doc goes back in current time to that same location. But as he goes past the cleaners and goes to where that empty lot was, now all of a sudden there's this huge building. Okay. It was the Golden Fang building, basically, right, where, right, Doctor, right. No, where Martin Short is. And the whole time I'm thinking, okay, how did they do that? Did they really just time it to where that building got demolished and they were able to shoot one scene before it was, was there and one after it got demolished? Because it was not in that other shot. Gotcha. Or were they doing some great matte work and CGI work where they you know, just made it look at one there? But it was pretty amazing to me. It was like, it was really got to me like within a couple minutes span, that building is there and it's not. not. And it really looked like they shot this at two dis- Totally different time periods. Got you. That was awesome. That was a really nice touch on some things. Again, I mentioned the use of music, which I thought was really good. Just style-wise in general, there's just a lot of like random shots that were really interesting. And uh, there's a shot early on where Doc is going to check out a a, 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 a company or a, a storefront. And he goes, and it's like kind of out in this big open field. And it's like seemed like it's like kind of deserted out by itself. And as he turns around and looks at one point, like all these like people like kind of pop up from behind these bushes that way off in the distance. Mm. And you think maybe is that an illusion? Is it something he's tripping out on or whatever? Come to find out later, no, they really are like police officers waiting to surround him there. Right. But just the way it was shot, it was so trippy looking, but yet it was real, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why I said I was actually surprised that this was not more of a psychedelic crazy visual movie than it was. It was actually a lot more straight form, straight lace than I expected it to be. Right. And I, I think I was kind of on the same page and that's what made me kind of confused at the end of it that I didn't understand it better because mm-hmm. I thought if it had been more psychedelic then yeah, I wasn't expecting none of it. But the fact that it is seemingly straightforward, mm-hmm. but yet it's not. <laughs> so yeah. It's, yeah. It was, a, it's, I use the word demanding just because sure. I do think I could, I could have gone with the word complex or complicated, whatever. But you know, the thing is I say demanding because this is a film I think I have to watch a second time. Absolutely. So that's where and, I'm but you And you actually want to I do. watch it No, I definitely time. want to watch it. I hate right. that I only rented it for 24 hours. I'm sure. like, how am I going to watch it again now? Because um, I do want to see it again. I really want to, now that I can know that not to pay as much attention to some of the nuances, let me really see if I can follow the story. Mm-hmm. And if it's even meant for me to be able to follow the story. That's kind of what I want to get at a second time. There's a performance that I'm curious about what you thought of this character. Jade, the character of Jade, who is played by an Asian actress named Hong Chow. Yes. Mm-hmm. What would what, you think about? Oh, I thought she was really good. Okay, so yeah. did I. So yeah. did I. And she plays. She shows up in the first place he goes to check out. Right. Um, has some interesting scenes there. And yes. then she shows up later on in the film. And, right. Yeah, she's probably got the most screen time besides Doc and Shasta 
Um, she's right up there with Owen Wilson's character as far mm-hmm. as screen time, which is pretty cool. So right, yeah. and I really enjoyed her. I was like, oh, cool when she would yeah. come back on. So. Yeah, no, okay. she was really good. What What did you make? Uh, and I don't want to get into spoilers with this, but what did you make of the role of the narrator? The narrator was a girl that obviously was good friends with Doc. Right. Is present in many times throughout the film, but later on in the film, and this is probably one of those areas where I need to go back and watch it again. Right, they make a reference to her in her name which is a very unique name and I don't have it pulled up here, but right. I think there's supposed to be something more with her role and her name and the role she's playing as a narrator that I just didn't get. Her name is sort sort of leash, something like that. Yeah. Played by Joanna Newsom. Right. Again, why she's the narrator, what, impact she has on the story. That was a little vague to me. It was muddy for me as well. Um, yeah. Benicio Del Toro's role. Oh, I liked him. Oh, he was really good. Yeah. yeah. I just was still trying to figure out exactly what his role was and kind of how he factored into it. And then I'll say too, I think, I think probably one of my, my favorite set pieces was his office. Hmm. Just this hallway, like this very nonchalant office building where you don't really quite know what's in the other rooms. But it's it was, like, are you talking about um, Doc's office? Yeah, Doc's office. It was office. like a dentist office, wasn't it? Was his a dentist? No, I thought the Golden Fang building was the dentist's office. Or is there other dental work going on in his space, too? I have to um, go back okay. to Doc. But it just the receptionist at the front. Right. And, you know, Doc's just kind of there, and you go into his room, and it's just a, just a room. And it's like you go in the hallway, and there's, like, all these people, like, crowded in they're not there to see him they're there for other things just right. something about that environment was just so perfect yeah for him. Well, there's so many good things about this film it's just i wish it had a i wish i could have enjoyed it front to back without it being so infuriating sometimes sure it's a okay. good way to sum it up yeah sure so do you have a one word review for this film i do yeah hazy hey oh perfect that's See, gonna be mine. This one word. I think this thing's <laughs> gonna catch on. One word reviews. This is the Apple Watch edition of film reviews, is there what we're go. doing with these one word reviews. You want it when you're looking at your Apple Watch, if you end up getting one of those, you glance at your watch. Oh look, they just posted a review of inherent vice. Chris calls it hazy. <laughs> Perfect. That's all <laughs> okay. we need. That is that is the review. So that's inherent vice, the latest from Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, we both recommend seeing it, but do not rent it if you're not gonna be able to watch it a second time. Yeah, I would say you need to yeah, be able to follow Either, it through. Be prepared to rent it a second time or just go ahead and buy it. Pay the 15 bucks and buy it so you can watch it several times because you will need that to really understand and absorb the film pretty well. Agreed. All right. We're going to move on to our second review, which is the very low-budget independent film uh, from a filmmaker I'm not at all familiar with. Uh, the film is called Buzzard. How long was that break? Three hours. Three hours? Dude, this job is awesome. No, it's not. It's bogus. I have an easy job for you, Marty. I'll get to it, Carol, but, you know... Got a lot going on around here, so. A genuinely brilliant contemporary satire of workplace frustrations like office space on crack. You can't just take someone's check and make it yours, man. It doesn't work like that. There's private surveillance cameras all over my place. Is 730 for Detroit leave yet? Don't call the cops. It's not. Call the cops. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm Alan. As I'm pointing across the table, that is Chris. <laughs> Hello. We just finished our review of Inherent Vice. My word was demanding. Chris's was hazy. Hazy. So there you go. That's all you need to know about our review in case you skip that first part. Now let's move on to our second film, which is a uh, very different type of film, although I'm going to attempt to draw parallels. Okay. The film is called Buzzard. In it, much like Inherent Vice, we follow, for the most part, one individual throughout the entire film. Uh, He has various interactions with other people. We don't always know as much about this character as we'd like. We get hints about his background and past, but not clearly spelled out for us. Uh, he's played character uh, actor I'm not familiar with, Joshua Burge, playing the main character, Marty Jakotansky. Yes, great name. And basically, he is a small-time con artist. Uh, we see him throughout the film pulling very low-level crime uh, con artist work. Right. Doesn't ever get very dangerous, doesn't get too high-profile. But it starts to accelerate at a certain point in the film to the point where he does start to get very paranoid about what's going on. So he makes some decisions to distance himself, to try to leave, go to another environment, to get away from what he feels like is going to be this mounting incrimination against him. Chris, this film was recommended to us, maybe? Yeah. We heard about it. We checked it out. Yeah. I'll go ahead and give you my one word. Just (laughs) review. I have no problem Uh with it. The the word is discouraging. Mm. 
I really did not like this film. Okay. And I'll tell you why, and, and as, as simple as possible. Then I, I will try to glean some positives from it, but I definitely am anxious to hear your, your thoughts. Okay. I love independent filmmaking. Yes. And I defend independent filmmaking a lot, especially in the part of the country where we live. We're in Western North Carolina. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times I sometimes feel like I have to defend this idea of independent filmmaking because a lot of people can throw labels at it that it's sometimes it's weird for the sake of being weird. People will criticize independent filmmaking as being it's not a good cohesive story. It doesn't have a start, middle, end. It's very nebulous. It's kind of random. It's all over the place. And I'm always very, very quick to to defend independent filmmaking because I love the genre. This film makes it really hard for me to defend hmm. independent filmmaking because I feel like they're pulling every possible cliche of a we want to be a hip, independent, edgy film. And in the end of the day, it was more infuriating for me to watch than anything else. Hmm. I was intrigued by the main character and I thought the actor was good. But man, I just, the story, the style, the tone, everything, nothing worked for me at all on really? this thing. So okay. let me turn it over to you, your thoughts on this. Well, I, 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 the film for me, having watched it close to Inherent Vice, I also drew kind of parallels that they were both like outsiders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both, both were outsiders and unfortunately the Marty Jakotansky character. Yeah. He, he's kind of depressing. It's, it's a, it's a downer. <laughs> he's not a fun character to watch and no. follow for very long. But what, what I can admire about this movie is that instead of playing it for laughs, because he is, he's a strange character. You know, he's kind of a loser. If you want to label people, he's a mm-hmm. loser. Yep. He is a con artist and he's been able to make money, but he's never, it's like he's a con artist, but he's not extremely good at it, but yet he's okay at it. He can get by, but his whole goal is if he can score five bucks off of something, he feels like he accomplished something. Which, right. You know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not really helping his matter very much. And it's it's kind of a character study of a very sad, pathetic person. Yeah. And I thought the, I guess, independent nature of the film was that they kind of laid it bare and they made him very normal. I mean, normal as far as they didn't try to heighten anything. Yeah. And therefore... I can see how you could get agitated that there wasn't a lot going, you know, to portray normal life. It just showed him sitting on a couch. There's a lot of time spent in a couch and on a ba- in a basement. And, and that didn't bother me. Okay. I, I actually liked the real, real life aspect of it. I thought that was good. Actually, the opening sequence of the film where we see it almost exclusively just his face. Yes. Where he sits down with a bank teller and he basically, we come to find out that he's basically pulling a, a con a really minor, minor con. He's basically found a loophole where he can open and close checking accounts and get a $50 rebate for doing it. And he works at this same place. Yeah. <laughs> Which is- That scene was great. And actually that opening scene, even the point where the, the teller or the bank officer he's working with leaves for a while to go deal with something or to go process some things. And all we're doing is just sitting there watching this main character, like just watching him. Like it goes on for like a couple minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm digging this. This is this is good. And I actually think the character at the beginning of the film is not the same character we're following the rest of the movie. I actually think he was much more interesting in those opening moments, but he devolves for me throughout the film to be much more juvenile, much more, I don't know. The, mm-hmm. the person I saw at the beginning of the film in that bake sequence seemed a lot more intelligent and savvy. But as we come to find out, he really is not. He became a lot less interesting to me. As and the you film don't really have a turning point or a, thing is like why that happened. I don't think it was truly character development or de-development for him. I think I it was just the writing, which just got sloppy after a while. It made him a lot easier to be a true loser and a jerk and an idiot where in the beginning of the film, I actually thought they were trying to show us somebody who was kind of had a plan mm-hmm. or is at least able to pull off some interesting things, but he just got dumber as the film went on. Um, well, something I thought was interesting is that they, in two different instances, he has some phone calls with his mom. Yeah. And I thought those were, those shed some light. If they wanted him to just be very one dimensional, a one dimensional loser, they could have just left those out altogether. But they don't make you feel completely sympathetic for him, mm. but yet they give you a little bit more of a, they There's flesh a little, him yeah. out a little bit more. There's a little glimpse where you do get the impression that 
he had some challenges growing up that his parents or his mother's very cognizant of. Right. That they're very concerned about for him. But we don't really know much more beyond that. There's three things that I can hang. I definitely like this film more than you. I can tell. Um, No, it wouldn't take much. (laughs) um, The interesting use of, and maybe they leaned on a little bit too much, but the interesting use of a Nintendo power glove as a weapon. You're Mm -hmm. rolling your eyes. I am. I found that interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And how, yeah, how he, you know, literally he, he's a big horror movie fan. He is a nerd and he decides that he wants to fashion a Nintendo power glove so that it's a Freddy Krueger glove. Yeah. I, I found that kind of interesting. Here, here's what I'm thinking happened, Chris, at the formation of this film. Okay. I think the guys who write it and wrote it and directed it, and I don't know their names. I apologize. I'm speaking for you, and I don't know you personally. Well, actually, and the, the guy who played his best friend, there are very few actors, which I guess mm. is another like independent small movie yes. thing. Budget's probably not that big. The guy who played his best friend, Derek, is the writer and director of the movie. Oh, really? Joel Petroikas. Oh, we'll that? talk about him in a minute. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. We'll get to Derek. Um, okay. I almost get the impression they all sat around one day and said two cool ideas popped up. The idea of a really, really low level con artist. Okay. Like low level. Like we're talking coupon manipulation, you know, finding loopholes and banks, checking accounts. I mean, little, little things that he might get five bucks here, or 10 bucks here. I think they had this idea of, wouldn't it be cool to make a film about a kid who's just like that, who, can do these things, but yet he's still pretty much a loser for that. And then somebody else came to them with this idea of a Freddy Krueger Game Boy glove. <laughs> and it's almost like they found a way to try to force these two storylines like, together. You totally have to make that movie. Yes. And All that's right. where I feel like my fault with this particular style of independent filmmaking starts to come in. Cause I feel like it's just, we have two cool ideas. Let's figure out a way to cram them together in a film. We're going to make the tone jump all over the place at times where do you laugh at this? Are you cringing? What is it? And yes, let's have a couple of obligatory long shots that just linger on forever because that seems kind of cool to do. Oh. Let's have them stuff the spaghetti in this. Oh, for five I knew you were going to call that one out. Um, I've got a, I've got a reason why I think well, that's awesome. I love long sequences and I love long takes. Inherent Vice had a really, really good long take at, towards the end of the film between Doc and Shasta. That went on for like probably 10 minutes dialogue. I love long shots. I love long shots where nobody's doing anything. These just seemed gratuitous to say, look at us. We're independent filmmakers and we've got long shots where nothing happens. And it just, it was frustrating. <laughs> it was very frustrating to watch. I don't know. I, you know, I just watched this last night. I watched it really late last night and I did have to rewind a few times because I dozed off a couple times, but I did watch it all. <laughs> so I am speaking from, you know, I did see all this and I've rewound parts to make sure I was kind of catching what I need to catch. And, uh, well, it's still I, frustrating. I, so I mentioned the Freddy Krueger glove. There were two other instances where I felt like they were just very true. Just, I, I don't know. I thought they said a lot about the film and they may seem kind of weird. One you've already touched on, so I'll touch on that one first. The spaghetti eating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he finally gets a chance to get some money, and he blows it by going to a hotel and getting an expensive spaghetti meal and eating it very sloppily. That image of him doing that, and it, you know, it's just to me, called back to Clockwork Orange and Alex, who, and the way he was even eating it, um, like open mouth and kind of mechanically mm-hmm. like, and the, you know, clockwork orange is a whole comment on criminal system and treatment. And like this mm-hmm. movie kind of having that, like I'm just shoveling food because this is like, I've made it, I've made some money. Like, I don't know. I really thought that was an interesting, well, an interesting rep to me. It was now whether or not that was intentional, probably not. Um, but to me that, that reference to clockwork. No, orange, I totally see it. It sounds like something. And he was dressed in all white, which yeah. Alex, is that's something there. that I would see the independent filmmakers that I've been describing so far in my review, uh, <laughs> who had two cool ideas and decided to make a movie out of it. It's totally something I would see them saying, Oh, all oh, this would be just like clockwork orange. You know, let's have him sit there and stuff all the spaghetti in his face and do that. And let's like, just let the camera roll the whole time. I, I just, I admire when people do callbacks to films and I admire when they are adventurous and creative with the camera and the pacing of a film and the tone. I just felt like this was all just gratuitous. I felt much like I did with, uh, that Charlie Sheen movie we reviewed where, um, 
what was it? What was it? I don't even remember the name of it. Something Charles Swan. Charles Swan. Yeah. Where I just felt like they were being quirky and weird just to say, look how quirky and weird we are in the film. And I really felt like with Buzzard, it's, look, we're edgy independent filmmakers. Look, we did long takes. And look, we did callbacks to classic films. And you have to kind of really pick apart. And, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to throw these couple ideas together. And we're going to have this really weird random first uh, main character. It just it felt very cliche to me. See, I... I, I... I hear what you're saying, but I I disagree with it. Um, All right. Not that I have, not that I think this is a perfect film by any means, but the other, the final one I'll mention, actually there are two more, but mm-hmm. um, portraying, you know, young men that don't really have a direction in life that are kind of losers and the game they come up with eating bugles. Okay. That was okay. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I'll admit that was, that, I mean, that, that sequence like was, a, that's a okay. stupid thing that, you know, two kind of like, you know, losers would kind of come up with because they're bored. They don't have anything else to do. They make competition out of nothing. And I, I found that entertaining. And actually really don't. shot cool. You know, the way no, it, it was, was an interesting happening. sequence. I just don't feel like it belonged or be, deserved to be with the rest of the film. Huh. It just didn't work for me in that. And I think mainly it's because the dynamic with the roommate who I now you've told me is the writer director. I almost feel like there again that they admired the film Napoleon Dynamite. Earlier in their life, well, and now said, I will you know say what? This, and this, they said, this is like a dark version of Napoleon yeah, Dynamite. But I think they looked at Napoleon Dynamite and said, ooh, we, we kind of like the idea of having a kind of a weird best friend who's kind of dorky but doesn't think he's dorky. And you know, let's have him have some funny moments that we can laugh about, even though we're kind of in the middle of a dark, depressing movie. Hmm. And his scenes, all the scenes, first off, I don't think that guy's a good actor. I mean, I just don't think I got you. his roommate's a good actor. I think it was very forced. Honestly, his that role may have killed a good part of my enthusiasm for the film. Well. Because it was forced humor. I it was can, very Napoleon Dynamite-ish. Let's say really absurd, weird things and have people laugh about it. But it just didn't fit where the film was going, even from that opening fake shot that I like so much. Well, and I'll say, too, that, you know, I think definitely the strength of the movie is on the Marty character, Joshua Burge, his performance of that. With such a strong performance, which I felt like it was, it does kind of show the weakness of a lesser performance in his friend Derek. The, so. le- the, the, other, the, the friend character was a stereotype that they tried to u- do based off of so many quirky independent films. I see. And it didn't fit the main character. I really think that was it. I think once the, uh, the friend was introduced, and especially when they were started, you know, I, I didn't mind their play fights and kind of all that, but it's just the character himself was just so stereotype, quirky best friend from an independent comedy hmm. that it just, it killed it for me. I, I, you know what? The more I'm thinking about it, I think it may have been that character you that just really ruined down. the film for me a lot more. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, Buzzard, so, I'm not going to recommend you see it. And your one word was, um, was it discouraging? Discouraging. Mainly because I don't want people watching this and thinking this is what independence filmmaking is. <laughs> wow. That's um, just me. What's your one word? My one word is cautionary. Okay. And I'm saying that because, um, not because of the reason of I don't want people to watch this. I mean, yeah, it, this is definitely a niche movie. Um, yeah. If you like independent film, I would say seek this out. Mm, I, yeah, maybe. I, I, thought, I, I thought it was okay. <laughs> if you like bad independent film, absolutely Ooh, go check man, it out. No, harsh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to back off now. You close up. But um, cautionary for me because it's kind of like Clockwork Orange was cautionary. That's my summary of this is it's a person who's making bad choices and, you know, just it is sad and it's depressing, but it's, it's cautionary as to, you know, look what to isolationism being a loner can have happen. So Mm. cautionary is my, my, uh, one word. Okay. Good enough. Well, that is our two two reviews for the show. We've got inherent vice, which we both liked, but we need second viewings on. Yes. And then we've got buzzard, which I did not like (laughs) Chris found things to like sounded like a lot more and appreciated a lot more. It is a interesting film. Actually, I'm encouraging people to check out buzzard simply because I do want to hear your feedback. I want to see if there's things I'm missing. I want to hear if, you know, if I, there's just something I'm missing the boat on. Cause I just, I didn't get it with this. 
Hi, Alan and Chris here with an exciting announcement about something coming to the Western North Carolina area later this year. It's the first ever Foot Candle Film Festival. That's right, an Honest to Goodness Film Festival that's happening September 25th through the 27th at the Salt Block in Hickory, North Carolina. Films are being submitted from all over the world to be considered. Do you or someone you know have a film that you'd like to submit? Visit footcandle.org and follow the link to the festival for instructions. Stay tuned later in the year as we announce our choices and start selling tickets. Visit footcandle.org for more information. We'll see you in September. All right, uh, Chris, let's hit a couple really quick news items. I okay. know we were no time-wise. I want to I get onto our picks for sure. But there are a couple of interesting news items I thought we may want to just hit on really quick, if that's okay with you. Sure, let's do it. First off, um, and I'm trying to figure out where to go with this exactly, because I know we try to avoid the comic book superhero overflow of news. If Hollywood would decide to make more than two movies that weren't that, it would yeah. probably be a lot easier to do that. <laughs> Well, it seems like so much of the bulk of what they make is. My comedy. question is, 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 is I think we've talked about it in a previous episode, the uh, the Suicide Squad movie through DC. Right. Did we talk about this? We, I think we touched on it. I'm not sure if we, I think maybe mentioned some of the characters that were, and I've said, I was trying to compare it to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Was this going to be kind of like, it's DC as opposed to Marvel. So was this going to be DC's like Guardians of the Galaxy? It right. kind of comes out of nowhere. And maybe it's really successful. Well, it's just interesting that they keep adding more and more big talent to this film. Give me, give me a rundown of the cast thus far. We've got uh, Margot Robbie, who uh, from Wolf of Wall Street, okay, as Harley Quinn. Okay. We've got Scott Eastwood. Yes, that Eastwood. It's Clint's son. Okay. Playing a role. I don't know. They don't have it listed. Okay. Um, you've got Jai Courtney, who he was in one of those Terminator recent movies um i'm trying to think what else he's been in uh will smith now the one i know of will smith's playing they have deadshot okay then you got jared leto that's the one i know as about. the joker was joker yeah yeah Absolutely. you got joel kinnaman who i don't remember what he was in recently but he's been in a lot of films okay. he's rick flag jesse eisenberg is rumored to be in it as lex luthor he's going to be in the batman superman film but supposedly he's in suicide squad as well wow viola davis is going to be in there. They just named, do you remember on Lost, the guy who played Mr. Echo? Oh, yeah. He's now signed on to play Killer Croc, which is a Batman villain. Yeah. Jay huh. Hernandez, who's like a, he's a, you'd recognize him okay. if you saw him in a film, he's in it. It's like, oh my gosh, what are they doing with this movie? I mean, it's sounding interesting now. It's like the Avenger or X-Men of bad guys. There's so many big yeah. people playing. And you got head. David Ayer directing it, who his last film he did was Fury. Interesting. Um, he did End of Watch. That's where that Jay Hernandez, I believe, was in that as well. Okay. He did Training Day. He was a writer and producer of Training Day. He won the director of it. So we've got a guy who's, you know, doing a lot of gritty, more grounded films with Fury and End of Watch and writing Training Day. And now he's, right, he's directing a whole huge cast for a group of supervillains. Okay. Now, is this going to be a group of villains that really don't have like any superpowers? They're just kind of more ground level villains, right? Bad guys. I don't know, but I'm, I'm definitely more in, intrigued every time they release a little bit more information about this. Yeah, me too. And I, growing up as a kid, granted this was with Disney movies, I always liked the villains of the movies. Sure. Better than the heroes because they were always more interesting. Well, and generally in superhero movies, that used to be kind of the case before the Marvel movies came around. <laughs> I think when the Marvel movies came, it's definitely been more about the heroes and the villains have not been as impressive. You know what? I think you've hit on something there that mm -hmm. I've never considered. That's why I don't like the Marvel movies that much. The villains are not as interesting. No. And Loki, that's, Loki, in the Avengers movies, they're boring. Loki has been the most interesting Loki villain. Loki is interesting, and I love him, but like the... He teams up with the aliens that come in like attack yeah, the, the aliens city are nothing, and that's just like they're faceless. They're and there's just well, you look at like every you look game. at every true Marvel film. That. I'm not counting the Spider-Man movies from Sam Raimi. Those were not right. Marvel films, really. Right. I'm talking about the Captain America, the Thors, the Iron Mans. Mm -hmm. Iron Man. All the villains in the Iron Man movies have been forgettable. Yeah. All the villains in the Captain America, uh, uh, Red Skull was good, but he could have been better. Right. You know. Avengers, we had Loki, but that was the only thing. Thor, you had Loki, but then the other villains in the Thor movies have not been impressive. Yeah, it's like they, they focus on the heroes. They're making the heroes cool, but the villains are not. Before, when we had the old Superman movies, the villains were always pretty interesting. Right. Especially Superman 2 with the whole yes. trio of them. Yes. Even the Spider-Man films of Sam Raimi, I would say Dr. Octopus was a very interesting villain played by, uh, you know, that yes. guy. Yes. That guy. Yes. He was really good. <laughs> That guy, that, <laughs> yeah, guy, that guy, you were awesome. Um, I know who you're talking about. So, you know, 
yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's missing. And of course, in the Batman films, almost always in the Batman films, the villains have been the more interesting aspect. And I think that's what has me intrigued about Suicide Squad is it's flipping it on its head and it's a bunch of bad guys teaming up and going to do something. And I think that that idea to me sounds like it's going to be amazing. Um, I got to ask, did you see Cinderella? I did. Yeah, tell me real quick, because I'm here's why I'm curious. I like Kenneth Branagh, and he was the director of the film. From what I'm hearing, it's a very classic fairy tale movie. Yes. It doesn't try to sub, subvert the genre. It doesn't try to do any revolutionary thing it's, with it. It's not what we would call a, quote, air quotes, reboot or okay. anything like that. It is a standard, you know, real live action telling of the Cinderella movie. Okay. Um, did, did it work for you? It was It was okay. If If... If I were to say a down point, and it's not the movie's fault, nothing's really unexpected. You yeah. know, it is the straightforward Cinderella telling. There's nothing really revelatory about anything. Um, nothing really is added or a new dimension. If I would, but I would say what made it worthwhile for me mm-hmm. was Kate Blanchett playing the evil stepmother. Oh, okay, good. And there's a scene towards the end where she and Cinderella have a confrontation. Mm-hmm. Where they're ta- there's a big dialogue scene between the two of them. And through the dialogue, Kate Blanchett is a- able to add some nuance to the character of a evil, step- wicked stepmother. If you can say such character can have a nuance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, I guess, was something that was a little added that maybe made you kind of reflect on her character a little more. Interesting. Um, so that was something. And Grant, that's, you know, almost at the end of the movie. Still, so you're kind of like, I mean, oh, okay, here is something that's a little refreshing that is kind of new. But um, it's it's good. So I don't have a daughter at home, so I really have no reason to go see it. Nobody's whereas, clamoring to go see it. Whereas mine had been seeing this preview for a long time. Sure. Was I was just curious because, I mean, it did sound like, you know, I was happy to see that they didn't try to do some big revisionary version of it, or all of a sudden this is like a sequel in a weird way, like that Alice in Wonderland movie was that Tim Burton did. Right. It's like, I kind of liked it being the idea that maybe just a classic telling of it. You know, I'm, I'm all for that. I think well, that's great. I think if I could have said something that I would have preferred since they were going that whole classic route mm-hmm. and more of a realistic route. I mean, yes, they still do have the step or not stepmother, but the fairy godmother who turns things into a carriage. So all that still happens, mm-hmm. but that was very controlled and narrowed down. And I kind of wish they would have in a way, the mice did not talk to Cinderella, but she mm-hmm. could kind of understand them. And she was really good friends with them. I wish there would, that would have been downplayed a little more. Mm. Um, but I think everybody expects that because yeah, of the yeah, original Disney movie. But if they would have the downplayed that even more mm. then, and made the movie, quote unquote, realistic for a fairy tale, I think I may have even liked it more because I found the, the parts with the mice to be a little bit too like sugar-coated and sugary sweet. Right, okay. So, All right. But, well, cool. Good. Thanks for that. Well, last thing I was going to mention, just because we've got a little bit of a geographical connection to the film and we've talked about it, you and I on the side – uh, the trailer for the film Masterminds has come out. Uh, and Masterminds is the film that we were longingly looking forward to being called Loomis Fargo. Yes. This is about um, bank robbers, a true story, bank robbers who basically rip off millions of dollars from a Loomis Fargo at the time, which is now Wells Fargo truck, and made out like bandits and basically spent all the money just in ridiculous ways. They're very simple-minded Southern people. And it became like this huge story. So a movie's been made now. And the, the trailer's out, which I did get to see last oh, night. Oh, I haven't seen the trailer and, um Should I see the trailer? The trailer's fine. Okay. It's not hysterical. Um, it's called Masterminds. I liked it better with the first name. It does star Kristen Wiig. It's got Zach Galifianakis as this lead guy as well. I think Zach Galifianakis and Kristen Wiig are the bank robbers. Okay. Then you've got Owen Wilson in there. I'm not sure what role he plays exactly. And you've got Jason Sudeikis, who seems to be either a federal marshal or okay. maybe somebody tracking him down. I'm not sure. Four very, very funny people. Mm-hmm. The trailer was not hysterical, but it did have a couple of moments that made me think there's a good movie there. Okay. It's by Jared Hess, who did Napoleon Dynamite. Right. Harking back to our review, uh, where I mentioned that in a very negative fashion. Um <laughs> And, of course, this all took place in North Carolina, just like an hour from where we're recording. So we were kind of anxious to see what this film looks like. And it does look like it's coming out in about August, September. And uh could be interesting. So okay. I'm just saying it's worth – I know you and I try to be very careful about what what trailers we watch 
to get too much heavy anticipation for a film. This is one where I kind of think you do need to see the trailer to get a sense for whether or not this is a film you're going to look forward to or not. Okay. So, anyway, hmm. we'll leave but it at that. You wouldn't think it ruins anything. No, no, definitely yeah. not. And it's definitely playing for more of a straight comedy than anything. So obviously you want to see, is this a film that's going to make me laugh or not? So gotcha. I think that's kind of the message there. So let's wrap up. I, that, I know we could probably go on with news for quite a while longer, but let's, let's kind of wrap up and talk about our recommendation. We want to close out the show here with what we would recommend you check out. Maybe something we've seen recently, something uh, we think you ought to check out. Uh, you can hopefully find online, find, uh, find available can be new, can be old, anything goes. Chris, what have you got for us? Okay. Well, Alan, I am recommending this film, A, obviously because I've seen it, and B, because I like it, but C, because I want to renew your faith in independent film. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I am, need to be resuscitated. Yes. I am recommending the 2013 film Coherence. Ah. And what this was is a lot of people compared it uh, to Primer. Yes. And other people have kind of compared it to things like uh, Predestination or there's a – um, which we talked about on a previous show that has to do with time travel, but um, that one has a bigger budget. But another film that I recommended way back on one of our Foot Candle episodes called Time Crimes. Oh, right. Um, I remember you talking about that. So Time Crimes and Primer, both of those were definition of low budget and happened to be science fiction. Um, this one is independent, low budget, and also science fiction. And the idea behind it is there are eight friends – who are gathering for a dinner party and there is a astronomical or astronomical event that happens, a passing of a comet and stuff starts to go, stuff starts to get weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's just the best Mm -hmm. way to encapsulate it. And, you know, ostensibly, yeah, it's an independent movie because there are not a lot of special effects and you just have eight people sitting in a house. So that makes it pretty cheap because your setting is basically the house. But the stuff that goes on and the way people react to one another and the situa- how they react to situations was all very interesting to me. Hmm. And um, I, admired, I admired the fact that they were able to pull it off and keep it, keep it interesting. And where the film ends up after everything is said and done was also a little bit of a surprise to me. Wow. Um, I'll throw out there, too, um, the, one I, the one I love that we reviewed on yep. a previous mm-hmm. show. Sure. This is kind of you know, how it's all set in kind of a house. Yeah. And, you know, not... It's all about the idea and not necessarily, obviously, the special effects. And right. this has no big names that I recognized at all. Um, so you have eight actors that mm. I've never heard of. I've been intrigued about this film, so I'm glad you saw it and are recommending it. Did you ever see the show Roswell? No. Okay, because I'm assuming this is legitimate. One of the people, one of the friends, is a, he says he's an actor, and he actually says that he was the lead in that show Roswell. I'm wondering if that's actually true. <laughs> that'd, be, um, that'd be funny. <laughs> Because I never saw that show. I've heard of the show, but yeah. never saw it. But anyways, I, I recommend it. It's a very good, um, small indie movie. It's pretty short as well. It's only like 89 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So I, I recommend it. I think it could restore your faith in independent film. Okay. All right. No, I, I actually really I, – I read the description of it. I haven't seen the trailer or anything. All I need is a, is a recommendation, and I have it now. So, yes, I will be adding that to my queue Excellent. very closely here. Um, okay, so – Ah, man, if I've recommended this film, it was years ago on the show. Okay. So I apologize for you purists out there that are recording everything we say and have the wikis dedicated to the show. <laughs> I apologize if I've recommended this film again. But I read an essay about this film just recently that oh. made me start to think more about it and kind of watch parts of it again. Hmm. It's American Psycho uh, oh. with Christian Bale, one okay. of Christian Bale's first adult roles, I guess you could say. This is a film that was disturbing to me the first time I saw it. Second time I saw it, I really started to appreciate it. And now it's a much more of a curiosity to me than anything else. It's based on a, 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 a oh gosh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Brent Ellis, uh, Brent Easton Ellis novel, an ad- adaptation by a woman named Mary Heron, which I think is really awesome that a, a female directed this because you would have watched this and think, oh, Male some guy did it. But sure. no, it's definitely a female did it. And it was awesome. Christian Bell is phenomenal and it's still probably the best thing I think I've seen him do. Maybe I'll. I really liked him in The Fighter. I think he was really good there, but this is probably still his most interesting performance and dynamic performance. Okay. The reason I like this film, a lot of people write it off, is just over the top. It's violent. It's more about the quotes. It's all that. The lines that are used and kind of how absurd it is in places. What really gets me about this film is it's got an ambiguous ending that works. Hmm. There's an ending to this film that 
you're still wondering what really just happened. And it's not a cliche. It's not a, you know, they're just trying to pull like and come up and say that everything you just saw was fake or whatever. No, it's, it's really leaving you with, oh my gosh, I don't really understand what just happened, but I love the fact that I'm still asking questions about it. So when I saw an essay was published just recently about the ending of American Psycho and what somebody else wrote, they said, hmm. things happen. I'm like eating it up. I'm like, okay. oh, this is great because there are so many theories you can throw out there about it. Hmm. Uh, basically, for those of you not familiar, it's a guy who he's kind of in a Wall Street, high powered, very slick. This is like 80s where everybody, it's all about fashion and it's all about who's got the coolest business card and what kind of paper you print the business card on. But in his free time, he murders people. He does it in very gruesome. interesting, gruesome ways. Um, he's usually to a song soundtrack. Usually to a too. song. Unfortunately, Phil my Collins. guys, yeah, Phil Collins, and unfortunately, my guys, Huey Lewis in the news, kind of got their song. Um, God, what was the song that he he used? "Hip to Be Square"? Mm-hmm. Got really kind of maligned <laughs> by the use of the film here. Um, it's just an interesting film, but it's not for the faint of heart. My wife detests this movie and will mm-hmm. not watch it. I got a feeling I've recommended it before because I think I've even remember saying that phrase on the microphone here. But again, I'm only bringing it up because I've noticed a couple more essays starting to pop up in the film community online websites talking about this film again. I don't know what's caused the resurgence, but I've enjoyed reading a couple of essays lately and it's made me want to go back and watch it again, even though I've seen it a couple of times, not too far back. So, got you. Anyway, American Psycho still think is a very interesting film. Okay. So with that, are we done? I think we are. So Inherent Vice, we both give a good review. My review is a three and a half star review of Inherent Vice. And I'll tell you, I could easily get a half a star added back to it with a second viewing. So we're talking letterbox probably. Here. Yeah, letterbox. Okay. So that's where my letterbox rating is going to be. It's three and a half now. But if you see it pop up to four stars in the next few days, that means I've watched it again. <laughs> and I'm appreciating it more because I'm following the plot a little bit better. I think you and I are... Dead on. I think I'm probably three and a half on that okay. as well. Good. For Let's the stop. same for the same reason. Not bad. Not bad with that. <laughs> Buzzard. Wow. Um, I'll give it a half a star because wow. of the, the lead performance, and I'll give it a one star for just trying something. Okay. I'll give them that. So one and a half stars. Okay. I'm 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 on a three on three that. stars. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, And then we did a couple news items, and then we just gave our recommendations to check out. So we definitely coherence. In American Psycho, we both are saying are interesting films to check out. Very different films, but very interesting ones. So with that, Chris, if somebody wanted to give us some feedback about what we've been talking about or they want to really get on to me about my review of Buzzard, what should they do? Um, let me give you a cell phone number. No, right. um, no. Actually, the best way is to email us at info at and just uh, tell us what you uh, what you liked, didn't like about our reviews. Or you can suggest a movie that's coming out that you definitely want us to review. But that's probably the uh, number one way you can get a hold of us is yeah. through that email. A good email. Uh, of course, we encourage you to go on iTunes and give us some star ratings. You can post a review on the show if you want to there. And then just go on the mesh.tv in general. That's the mesh.tv. Go and uh, dig up Foot Candle Films and you can go back and listen to old podcasts. If there's films you really like and you heard we did a review of it, go back and listen to it. And still give us a, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, we respond to emails we get occasionally. Every once in a while we find one we want to read on the air. We'd love to have even more to be reading through and uh, have a few more to read on the air every once in a while too. So feel free to shoot us a line. So with that, I guess we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I will just say as a closing note, visit footcandle.org to learn more about our film society. That was kind of the origin of this show many years ago. We screened some films in Western North Carolina for a very large audience, uh, film, uh, film lovers in our community. And uh, we're really excited as we've been posting up a lot of news about it, about the upcoming foot candle film festival. That's right. This show is going to have a film festival named after it in about, Oh, good gosh. Like six months. Uh Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh is right. Six months away. And uh, we are getting film submissions in from all around the world. We'll be showing films here in good old Hickory, North Carolina at the beautiful Salt Block Auditorium. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be uh, the weekend of September 25th through the 27th. Go ahead and make your plans now. Come out and plan on joining us. Tickets will be going on sale probably in the July-ish time frame. But we'll have more details about when that happens. And uh, come visit us in, in Hickory and enjoy some great fall weather and some good films we'll be watching together. So that'll be the Foot Candle Film Festival. You can go to footcandle.org, and we've got a button there about the film festival, or you can just go straight to footcandlefilmfestival.com. Either way, 
that's where you can go to sign up to get more information. So with that, let's wrap it up. I know we've got another show we're recording probably just within a week or so here. We've got some other films to discuss. So we'll look forward to talking to everybody then. Take care. Thanks for listening. See you in the ticket run. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.